Good morning. I've been told since I arrived that I have an accent, so I apologize. I, uh, I've listened for it, but I can't hear it. All of you have an accent, but I don't. It's, uh, it's such an honor to be here, and uh, it's always a gift that someone would invite you to talk, and they would actually choose to listen. I don't get that with my family at home, so it's, uh, it's just a delight to be here. And um, when I was uh, thinking of like what to talk about, it's always a bit of a challenge when you, you're not sure of the people you're going to be talking to, because I never want to offend, and at the same time, I want to um, be faithful to what I think God's put on my heart. So, um, lovely couple that we're, Joanne and I are staying with while we're here. Uh, asked me this morning, so what are you talking about? And I said, obedience. And she goes, ooh, I'm glad I'm not going to be there. (laughs) So if you feel that way, I'm really sorry. Uh, I don't even want to be here for it. And so you can join me in that. I I grew up in a church in a very small town in the middle of uh, the U.S. that uh, it was a wonderful little church, great people. But it was a church that defined... God and defined living for God by what you did not do. Everything is about what you did not do. If it even remotely looked like it might be fun, it would probably anger God, so don't do it. And um, we didn't drink anything that might have alcohol in it, nor did we hang out with people who might drink anything with alcohol in it. We didn't smoke, we didn't dance because that was a vertical expression of a horizontal desire. And so we did not dance. It was a terrible sin to dance. We did not roller skate at a roller rink, because that was like dancing on wheels. And we did not do that. You guys didn't know this before, did you? Yes, this is going apparently going to be on holiness, not obedience. And so we didn't go to movies, because they might influence us in negative ways. We didn't go to pool halls. I'm not sure why. Maybe someone drank alcohol there. I can't be sure. But we didn't go to pool halls. We didn't go to bowling alleys because they smoked and drank at bowling alleys. And so I was, uh, my junior year in high school, I had become friends with the captain of the basketball team, which was great because he was taller than I was. That didn't happen often. And so I was quite happy about that. We became good friends. He'd talk about the cheerleader he was dating, and I'd talk about some guy I was dating or had a crush on or something, and then out of the blue, he asked me if I'd go on a date, because he'd broken up with the cheerleader, who I didn't like, by the way, but that's a whole other story. Um, So he asked if I'd go on a date, and I said, uh, yeah, he says, we'll go to a movie. I don't go to movies. Why? I'm not sure. I think it's because it's fun, but I don't go to movies. (laughs) So he said, well, we could, do you want to go bowling? Uh, They might be drinking there. I can't go bowling. And so by now he's, I'm sure, sorry he even said, could we go out sometime? So he said, do you want to just go to the mall and walk around? I I can do that. As long as I don't covet anything I see, I can go to the mall and walk around. So that was our first date, walking around a mall. And the fact that he asked me out again was nothing short of a miracle. And so... He asked if I would go to the prom. Now, the prom, uh, do you have a prom here? I don't know. I, it's, it's the junior-senior huge dance. 
The guys wear tuxedos. The girls buy expensive dresses they're going to wear once, and you look like Cinderella. It's fabulous, I guess. So he asked if I'd go to the prom with him. And I said, I'm so sorry, I don't dance. Actually, I danced all the time with my sisters at home, but not publicly. And he goes, well, that's okay. I don't dance either. This was a dilemma for me because he had nailed it. He doesn't dance. I didn't have to dance. So I said, let me get back to you. So I went home, talked to my mother. I said, Mom, um, Fred was his name. I said, Fred asked me to the prom. She went, oh. And I said, I know we don't dance, but he doesn't dance. So if I went, I wouldn't be dancing. I would just be there, and I'd get to look nice, and I'd go out with this guy I really like. And she says, honey, you're old enough to make your own decisions. Isn't that a great answer for a mom? She didn't stop there. Then she said, but you know how I feel. Dancing, my mother, my mother or dancing. So I thought, well, I'll try one more time. So I went to my Sunday school teacher. She was about 112. And she always chewed gum. So I talked to her after Sunday school and she goes, Kathy, I don't know a girl today who went to the prom and still serves Jesus. So now it's just my, not my mother or the prom, it's Jesus or the prom. <laughs> Bottom line, I did not go to the prom, and if I could go back to high school at any point, I would go to the prom. I'd buy me a big old dress. I'd get my hair done up, and I'd wear makeup, and I'd be beautiful. And I'd go with some guy that was taller than I was. The reason I made the decision not to go is because I really wanted to be obedient to God. The thing is, as I, um, as I grew up and, and left home and went to uh, Bible college and began to study scriptures for myself, this is going to shock you. The Bible never mentions cigarettes anywhere. Mm-hmm. I've never smoked. I don't want to. But it doesn't mention it. And yet I was led to believe that that could send you to hell almost immediately. When the Bible mentions alcohol, it says don't get drunk, but Jesus actually made wine. So when it talks about dancing, it's always positive. It never says don't dance. David danced, and when someone didn't like it, his wife, she got in trouble, not him. So I start reading, I think, well, my goodness, where did all these rules come from? My church back in Sauk Village, Illinois, that's where they came from. For centuries, I believe the church at large has interpreted God's laws in ways that we are held to an obedience that actually surpasses what the Bible teaches. That's what the Pharisees did, and it really ticked Jesus off. He says you keep judging by the wrong things. You keep getting caught in men's laws, and you don't even know what the law of God is. So obedience, I think, can be kind of dicey. It can be difficult. How we live our lives in obedience We can please people often uh, in areas that I don't think God cares about. And sometimes people are okay with what we do, and we've offended God or disobeyed what God would call us to. So now that I've made it really sticky and muddy and difficult, I'm going to talk about obedience. Because I like for it to be difficult. Where is the balance between the rules as given to me and my own feelings about them? Where's the balance for you and what you believe God says or the church has told you or 
You grew up in a church that told you one thing or another. Where's the balance between that and what we feel about it or what we feel um, God might be saying to us about it? How do we deal with our own brokenness and not let it take us down a dangerous path away from the best life God has for us? I've known people who obeyed the law, their law, the church they went to, to the letter. Never, ever did they live with joy or peace If someone said, you know, like if you tried, I've had people like, you need to know, they've told me, I've told people, you need to know my God. And I know them and I think, why would someone want your God? Like, you're more miserable than they are. What, What are they lacking that you have? And there are people who believe in God because it's fire insurance from hell. If I can just hang on till Jesus comes, I'll be fine. No joy, no life. It's never what Jesus intended. So we're going to talk about obedience. How do we live a life of obedience, obedience to God, without feeling like we're performing like a trick monkey? I do all the things I'm supposed to do. I show up at church every time the doors are open. I give a tenth or a twentieth or one percent, whatever it is you give. I do all the things I'm supposed to do. I don't drink. I don't cuss. I don't smoke or dance or go to bowling alleys or pool halls or whatever else I think I need to do. So God must be really happy with me. We live this life literally like a, a, a dog that's been trained really well. Sit, roll over, shut up, whatever it might be. <laughs> I would never say that to a dog. Um, John 2 verses 1 to 11 says this. The next day, there was a wedding celebration in the village of Cana in Galilee. Jesus' mother was there, and Jesus and his disciples were also invited to the celebration. The wine supply ran out during the festivities. That wouldn't have happened at my church growing up because we would not have had wine, just so you know. But Jesus apparently was more liberal. So um, the wine supply ran out during the festivities, so Jesus' mother told them, they have, told him they have no more wine. Dear woman, that's not our problem. I... I still don't understand that, but I just find it the most interesting. Jesus talks to his mother. Mother, it's not my problem. I just love that. Um, I have no idea what it means, but I think that's funny. He says, my time has not yet come. Jesus actually, at this point, is trying to kind of still stay under the radar a bit because he knows the more famous or known he becomes, the the more quickly he will end up on the cross. And there's much he feels like he needs to do before the consummation of his ministry on earth. So... (laughs) My time has not yet come. So he says, it's not my problem. And then Mary, being a good Jewish mother, turns to the servants and says, whatever he says to do, do it. So she's not listening to her son. And whatever he says to do, do it. Standing nearby were six stone water jars used for Jewish ceremonial washing. Each could hold 20 to 30 gallons. Jesus told the servants, he's a good Jewish son. He's doing what his mother said. Fill the jars with water. When the jars had been filled, he said, Now dip some out and take it to the master of ceremonies. So the servants followed his instructions. When the master of ceremonies tasted the water that was now wine, not knowing where it had come from, though of course the servants knew, he called the bridegroom over. A host always serves the best wine first, he said. Then when everyone has had a lot to drink, he brings out the less expensive wine. But you have kept the best until now. This miraculous sign at Canaan and Galilee was the first time Jesus revealed his glory and his disciples believed in him. Let's look at Mary's words. Whatever he says to do, 
do it. I want to take that apart a bit. First of all, whatever. What are your restrictions or qualifications on God's guidance in your life? Do you let him into every area of your life? Are you willing to listen when he leads you in your spiritual walk or your work? But you don't want his opinion about your finances or your marriage or something like that. I was married for um, 39 years. My husband passed away seven years ago. And he and I um, had a really rough go of it the first half. We, uh, neither one knew what we were doing, and our marriage looked like we didn't know what we were doing. And it was very, very difficult. Now, I was a mom. I have two kids who are fabulous. They're perfect, as are my grandchildren. I'm sorry you can't know them. But they, um, I, I knew how to be a mom, and I prayed all the time, God, make me a good mom to these kids. I have a son and a daughter. And I would hold them up before the Lord all the time. I trusted God with, with, my, um, with my children, with my job or our finances, whatever I needed to do. I was a stay-at-home mom when my kids were younger. I trusted God with anything he wanted me to do at church. I held those things up to God. When I prayed to God about my marriage, I prayed that he would fix Bud. Um, you guys don't have the name Bud here, but that was my husband's name, nickname. So... He wasn't a rosebud. He was just bud, like, hey, little buddy. That's how he got the name. So, Bud, um, I prayed for Bud all the time. And because uh, I really was working hard to make him a woman of God. And he, he fought me at every turn. Every turn. I don't know why. Because clearly I knew what I was doing. And so I didn't pray that God would show me how to be a good wife. That wasn't the issue. It was Bud. And so I prayed that, that, so I didn't hold that out before God. So when Mary says whatever, means that we've chosen to trust God with every area of our life. Is there some area in your life right now where you don't want to trust him? Where you want him to do what you want him to do, but you're not sure that he knows what's best for you, what's good for you. So often when I pray, I want... I've, I've given God a lot of directions in my life because I, I have a solution that I know will work. And I, I can tell him how long it should take, who should be involved and who should not. And I usually come out looking really good in whatever the plan is that I've put together for God. But do I believe that he knows best in every area of my life? I have friends who are single, um, and they're getting into their 30s, late 30s, even early 40s. And they really, really want to be married. And they're afraid to pray that because they're afraid God's going to tell them, I've made you to be single your whole life. And so if they don't ask, they don't hear from him, then they can pretend that maybe there will be a spouse for them, a husband or a wife. But Mary says to the servants, whatever he tells you to do. Once the servants decided they would obey Jesus, what did he tell them to do? Run down to the corner and buy wine. No. He said, fill up the water jars. Now, let's pause for a second. Pretend you don't know the end of the story. Someone says, we're out of wine. And the guy in charge now says, fill up the water jars. You're probably much more obedient than I am. I would have thought, dude, we're not out of water. I'm sorry, you misunderstood. We're out of wine. And so often, when we offer a prayer to God, a need, we go to God and say, 
guide me in this. What God tells us to do doesn't seem to fit with what the results should be. He's looking for an obedience that may not look like the most direct path for us in terms of what he wants to do. But because we know the end of the story, we say, yeah, go ahead, fill up the water jars. It's going to be great. But they didn't know that. And then just to make it even more difficult, he says, now take it to the master of ceremonies. This could have been like a mayor or somebody really important who oversaw weddings. Take it to him. Now, if I'm one of five servants, I might have helped fill up the water jars, but delivering a cup of water to the head guy is like, you do it. No, I think you should do it. No, I think you should do it. They took it, and it was wine. Much too often, we restrict our obedience by our own reasoning. God tells us something to do when we say, I, well, that's not going to work, Lord. Because if I give up this person, I may not find someone else. If I don't fight for my rights, Lord, in this situation, who will? If I do as you ask, Lord, Bud will win the argument. That was a rough one for me. Why should I? I'll always be like this anyway. I mean, I can obey you now, but I'm not going to change. I'm a mess. What if the servants had refused because it was too risky to take this cup of water to the master of ceremony? And they thought, well, it doesn't make sense to me. I'm not going to look bad. The servants didn't know it, but they were in the very presence of God. Jesus, God incarnate. These servants are standing in the very presence of God. And had they not been obedient, they'd have missed a miracle as would probably hundreds of other people. Missed a miracle. Whatever he says, do it. Then, whatever he says is part of this directive. Imagine if you had one voice in your head for every influence, pressure, or restriction that applies to your life. Telling you what to do, when to do it, and how to do it. I feel like some of you men are thinking, I have one. (laughs) Right there. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about everything from your mother and father when you were growing up, maybe siblings, teachers, bosses, managers, pastors, churches, whatever it is. Culture, teachers, even your own expectations. There's a voice for everything and every influence is trying to tell you who to be and what to do. I think that myriad of voices, which can become like a cacophony to us, it's just so much going on in our head. How in the world do we know what to do? Because not everybody seems to agree on our best life or how we should live. Yet Mary says whatever he says. doesn't say take a poll. doesn't say let's all get together and decide the best plan. Let's form a committee. And we'll determine what the best way to go forward on this is. So how do we know what he might be saying to us? How do you know in a particular area of your life what God might be saying to you? Because the end of that directive is your best life. may not be your easiest life for a while, but it will ultimately be your best life always. As we talked about, um, as we talk about obedience, Obedience. Obedience needs to be a lifestyle. It's not just 
an event. So often we want things like this to be an event. We get to this fork in the road, God, tell me which one to do. I'll do, I'll do whichever one you tell me, I'll do that. When in reality, obedience is a lifestyle that we choose. God is a relationship. He's not a resource. Does he resource us? Yes, he does. But everything that we know of God, that we get from God, if you will, our best life is the result of the relationship. I have people come to my office. I do a lot of counseling at my church. And people come to my office and they'll say, "Um, I made the appointment because I just, do you think I should marry this guy? What do I know? It's like, uh, let me get the crystal ball out of my desk, I guess. I don't know. Um, uh, let's hum. Hum. You getting anything? No, I'm not either. As, I, as though somehow I have this, I'm one step closer to God and I can give them an answer. It comes out of a relationship. Are we willing to do whatever he asks of us? Whatever he says. In Romans 12, verses 1 and 2. It says, so dear brothers and sisters, I plead with you to give your bodies to God because of all he has done for you. Let them be a living and holy sacrifice, the kind he will find acceptable. This is truly the way to worship him. Don't copy the behavior and customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. Then you will learn to know God's will for you, which is good and pleasing and perfect. Our first and most important obedience is to submit to God. That's our primary obedience. Before we ever have to decide whether to marry that good-looking guy or ditch that beautiful woman or whatever it might be, we have chosen to live in response to God's grace and direction, even in the small areas of our life, the easier decisions, so that when we get to the challenging ones, we have a pattern, a lifestyle of obedience. It is lifestyle of discipleship. Finding God's will, knowing what he wants of us, comes through a daily commitment to who he is and what he is. Being utterly sold out. It's not a phone call to heaven switchboard saying, I need a lead on a good job. Could you check in with the big guy and see if he can't get me something that pays a little better? And yet I know people who pray that way. They'll come into my office and say, would you pray with me? I just want a bigger house. You want me to pray for a bigger house? You have deep need in your life, and I'm so sorry, but no. As though somehow we can just ask for more without gratitude or anything else. Whatever he says, do it and begin with gratitude. Most of the time, we go to God because we need an answer. Missing the fact that Jesus is the answer. In the person of Christ is the answer. He is the way. He is the truth. He is your best life. Obedience comes out of that knowledge and understanding and commitment. In Colossians 1, verse 9 and 10, it says, We have not stopped praying for you since we first heard about you. We ask God to give you complete knowledge of his will. Wouldn't that be grand? And to give you spiritual wisdom and understanding. Then the way you live will always honor and please the Lord, and your lives will produce every kind of good fruit. All the while you will grow as you learn to know God better and better. That's the life we were intended for right there. But it's a lifestyle. You live to please God. 
In John 10, Jesus says that his sheep know his voice. Do you know his voice? When I was a a fairly young girl, because I was raised in church, I remember thinking, when I get to heaven, I want to be so, because they were talking about the throngs, which is a lot of people I learned as I got a little older, in heaven. And I thought, when I get there, I need to know Jesus so well that with all the noise going on, when he goes, Kathy, I'll know it's him. And that picture's always stuck with me. Are you developing, are you living a relationship with Jesus that with all the voices that come to you, you can pick his out. It's not magical. It's a lifestyle. Have you ever seen a group of moms and, and young children and you hear, Mama, and only one woman will turn and it happens to be her kid? Or one mother goes, Matthew, and he knows who it is. It's like our sheep know our voice. How do we do that? How do we come to know his voice? Basic things that you probably already know if you've been in the church more than two weeks. His word, prayerfully and with an open mind, reading, reading the word. It's God's book. That's his voice in there. And every word is alive and enlivened to us by the Holy Spirit. Be in his word. It's not keeping God from being mad at you. It's where you discover who he is. It's like, in a way, a long-distance relationship where, um, where you write letters like a pen pal. And you, you come to really love this person even though you've never been face-to-face. That's kind of what God's word is. It shows us who he is. And yet, by the Holy Spirit, we do get to be face-to-face with him in deep and profound ways. Be in his word. Through prayer, and I don't just mean talking and telling him what you need. The Bible says you don't have to ask for everything. He already knows before you even say it. What about listening? If you have a conversation, conversation with someone and you do all the talking, you don't know much about them, do you? And they probably don't want to know any more about you either. I'm not saying God, I'm saying people. Through worship. Oh my goodness, I loved worship this morning. That was fabulous. It so fills us up. Every word, every note. I'm not a great singer, but when I'm around people who sing nice and loud, I almost sound like I can, and I love that. I follow whoever's closest, and I sing what they're singing. It's beautiful. But worship is a wonderful way to know God, to know that he really is a chain breaker. It's an amazing thought. He's good, and he's kind, and he cares about you and me. Through community, being in a community like this, or if you are part of another church, whatever it is, being with people who love you but know you in a way that means they will challenge you and invite you to a better life. That's what it means to hear the voice of God. To have your friends tell you, you know, Kath, you might think you're funny, but sometimes you're, you're just you're kind of pointed and it's hurtful. I can tell you my first response when someone told me that was like, well, you're kind of sensitive. <laughs> I know, I'm very humble and I, I listen to my friends. And yet God just like, did you hear that? And I had to weigh that. I had to weigh that and say, Lord, you're going to have to do it from the inside because things fly out my mouth before my brain ever engages. And I know that's shocking to you. You probably can't tell that after just 20 minutes of listening to me, but it happens. Through his word, through prayer, through worship, through community. And sometimes just pay attention. Expect God to care about who you are and what you're doing. Expect God to care about your marriage and your kids and your job 
and your house and your finances and your yard or whatever else it might be. Expect him to care about the music you love because he's present with us all the time and he's always paying attention to us. What if we paid attention to him? Because that's where we begin to know his voice. There is influence that bears pressure on you as to what you should do, who you should be, what you should value. It comes at us all the time. All I have to do is watch television for five minutes, watch commercials. They'll tell women what they're supposed to look like, feel like, what they're supposed to do, tell men how to be he-men and how they're supposed to smell or whatever. They tell us all the time what we're to wear, what matters most. We won't know that unless we know the God who created us and what he created us for. Whatever he says to do, do it. I want to talk about do, the third thing. Whatever he says, do it. Seems pretty straightforward. Just do it. It's almost like a Nike commercial. Just do it. If I asked you, if we had the time and we went around and I asked you, what keeps you from doing what you know God wants you to do? If there's something you know God's been kind of suggesting, pressing, what is it that keeps us from it? What would that be for you? Are you afraid of the risk when he asks you something big? I was uh, working corporate uh, years ago now, and I was sitting in my car at a stop uh, stoplight near my office. It was a good job. I was making good money. Um, I had great favor there. And I was sitting at the stoplight listening to the radio, and I heard as clearly as I ever got anything. He says, quit your job. And I thought, <laughs> that's the devil, because I was making good money, and they liked me there. So... I'm very discerning, just so you know. Um, And yet I knew, and so I talked to a friend who I was having breakfast with this friend of mine. She was like a mentor in my life. And I said the oddest thing. I'm on the way to work and uh, felt like, I don't know, God maybe, told me to quit my job. And I'm expecting her to say, oh, let's pray about that. And she looked me right in the eye and she goes, oh, he told you too. (laughs) So... What is it that would, want, that would keep me from wanting to obey that? Loss of money. I was making good money. Loss of favor. I was doing well there. For Bud, like I had to get Bud to buy into it because that would cut our finances at least in half. There's a lot of pieces to it. What would I do then? If I wasn't doing that, would I just stay home and clean? Good heavens. <laughs> I know, that's how I felt. It was shocking to me, like just cleaning or knitting or something. I just couldn't seem to know what to do with it. What keeps us from it? Are we afraid that our dreams and desires will be overlooked? If I say yes to God, he'll never let this happen for me. I have to pursue this and go after it. Maybe I don't have the courage. Maybe I don't have the strength. Let me say this. Just do it. Do it afraid, do it hesitantly, do it with limited ability, do it embarrassed or however you have to do it, but do it. I, uh, I talked with a guy years ago who wanted to talk to me about tithing, made an appointment. So I want to talk to you about this tithing thing because I'm not sure, you know, like in the Bible, it says it talks about in the Old Testament, but I can't find it in the New Testament. And it's going on about that. 
start talking about, well, the Bible says, you know, be a cheerful giver and all that. And he goes, well, that's what I thought. So he said this to me. He told me he wasn't going to tithe until he could do it cheerfully. Seriously? I'm so excited to give you my money. Anybody ever feel that? It's like tithing is a discipline. It's not always easy. Tithing, new shoes. For some people, tithing, pay the rent. Tithing, feed my kids. I'm not telling you what to do in those situations. I'm just saying that there comes a point, whatever he says to do, do it. Do it afraid, do it hesitantly. I was, uh, when, when Bud and I were in the difficult years, I was standing in, uh, we were standing in church. We had argued all the way to church, like good Christian people. And uh, so we're standing in church. We always sat in the same place. It would have been about right here, about four rows up, right where you guys are. So. And uh, we're standing there singing. And I had prayed this prayer because Bud and I were in such a hard place. I said, God, would you teach me to be a wife to this man? Because I didn't, I was raised by a single mom which is why I tried to parent Bud for the first several years of our marriage. And so um, we're standing there, and I heard the Holy Spirit say to my heart, take Bud's hand. And again, because I'm holy and humble, I said, he'll think I like him. (laughs) Seriously, that was my big concern. If I take Bud's hand, he wins. We'd argued all the way to work for Pete's sake. I mean, to church. It's like... And I felt like God said, oh, you asked if I would teach you. So this is what my obedience looked like. Bud's on this side. We're singing songs about the love of God. So stand this thing. I did this. I did it with a terrible attitude, but I did it. And as soon as I took Bud's hand, he didn't stop and go, oh, you're so fabulous. You win. Nothing. He didn't even pay. He just kind of took my hand and he kept singing. But something broke in me because God was saying, you ask me to teach you whatever I say, will you do it? Taking someone's hand isn't that big a deal unless you have spent years building a wall around yourself so you can't be hurt. When you have made that person the enemy, which I had, I would have been happy if Bud had been a better person. That's a lie, but it's one I had come to believe. We argue, we stick our fingers in our ears, we barter with God. I'll take his hand if you promise that he will. I don't know what I want him to do. Whatever he says, do it. Just do it to the best of your ability. God told me to quit my job. One of my first responses after I thought about it was, Okay, God, I'm going to pray about that. Who am I going to pray to? God told me to do it. It's like telling my kids, go brush your teeth. Let me ask my mom. Go brush your teeth. I was going to pray about something God told me to do because I didn't want to do it. It was a stalling tactic. Have you ever used prayer as a stalling tactic? You know what to do, but like... Would you be praying with me about whether or not I should murder my husband? Because I just need to know. No, you don't need to pray. You know what to do. It may be, you know what not to do. Let's never have that American back because I think she has issues. I'm pretty sure. 
I went in to, uh, to work after a couple weeks, and I told my boss I needed to talk to him. So he came into my office. I was going to tell him that I'm quitting. And um, he came in and says, yeah, before we get, he didn't know what I was going to talk to him about. And he hands me his business card. And he said, we've really, it's, it's been a good season for us, and you're such an asset. So he gives me his business card, and on the back is a bonus, a really nice dollar amount. He says, that's just a bonus for you, for all you've done in, in the area of training. And he said, as long as I have your attention, he said, um, I'd like to offer you a promotion with a raise. So I'm thinking, oh, God, is this you? You want me to be willing to quit. See, he doesn't want me to quit. He just want to be willing so he could set me up for this great promotion. I knew it wasn't true. I knew what God had said. Imagine explaining to your boss that you have to quit even though you just, they gave you a lot of money and offered you another position. And so his first response to me was, okay, who did what? And I said, no, I'm not leaving angry. I love this place. I love the people. I love my job. It's just something I need to do. You know about my faith. My kids are at a certain age. I feel like I need to be home. My daughter was just starting middle school, and she was changing, not in good ways, because of some of her friends. So I just had to quit my job. Whatever God said to do, do it. Didn't make sense to me. I realized that my brain is not big enough to understand this God. And if I can ever fully understand him and his ways, he's not big enough to handle my stuff. Because if my brain can figure it out, I don't need him. But his ways are so far above our ways. His thoughts are so far above our thoughts. And that's the God we serve. God, sometimes there are laws that he gives us that are true for everybody. We are to love. We're to extend grace. We're to be kind. We're to talk about the love of God and treat people with the love of God. We're to tell people about Jesus. That doesn't matter who you are, on what continent, and how you serve God. That's true. There are some things like that, honoring God with our life. All of that is true. There are some things God will talk to you about that are more specific. I have friends who God has told them, I don't want you to drink at all. They have alcoholism in their family, and they they don't drink wine. They don't, not because they judge it. It's just something God told them. But it doesn't mean that's for the whole church or for all of Christianity. I have a friend who God spoke to her and says, do not go to R-rated movies. Now, they didn't phase her much. I, I can't watch them. My brain's real mushy and everything sticks because it's weak, I think, in my brain. But I, violence or bad language or like that stuff gets to me. And so if I go to those movies, they never leave me. So I try to avoid them. But for her, it wasn't that kind of an issue. It's something God told her. She didn't start preaching. Nobody should. There are things that God has told you that you need to honor, even if it's not true for everybody. I don't know what that might be. Are you willing to ask? Because whatever he says to do, you need to do it. The final part of Mary's directive to the servants is, whatever he says to do, do it. It's, it's important. It sounds like, yeah, do it. It's important because some of us are programmed to do more than God says or less than God says. We try to do the minimum. When I was about, uh, I was 15, I was 16, um, the the summer before my senior year of high school. And I was at summer camp, church camp. 
And I was praying, and I heard the Spirit of God say to me, I want you to go to Life Bible College in Los Angeles. I lived in a town called Sauk Village in Illinois. I know you've not heard of it. People in the U.S. haven't heard of it, so don't feel bad about that. It's a little place. Um, no stoplights, just a couple of stop signs. It was really small. A little church. And I'm at summer camp, and guys, I want you to go to Los Angeles. It's a little bigger than Sock Village. And when I heard God say that, I said back to God, I might have mentioned I'm really holy. And so I always respond, well, and I said, um, okay, but I don't want to be a missionary. God doesn't ever argue with me. He just goes quiet. So I just sat there for a long time, and then I felt the Holy Spirit say, I want you to go to Life Bible College in Los Angeles. I know, I heard you. Did you hear me? I don't want to be a missionary. Sat there for a half hour, then the lunch bell rang, and I have food issues, so I was out of there. <laughs> the next day, sitting there after that session again, the Holy Spirit spoke to my heart and said, I want you to go to Life Bible College in Los Angeles. I know. I heard that. All I'm saying is I don't want to be a missionary. Well, after another half hour, I said, okay, okay, okay. I'll do it your way. God has never called me to be a missionary in a foreign country, but he has given me a deep, deep love for Africa, and I've gone several times. I have a friend who runs a hospice in Kenya that is where God lives. I'm sure he visits the rest of us, but he, he lives there. It's the most amazing place on the planet. See, God needed me to do what he asked me to do. Sometimes when God directs us, things are very dark, and he... There's literally a flashlight or a torch, if you're in Australia, and he shines it on the next step. That's all we know. We take that step. We say, well, if you turn all the floodlights on and bring the sun up so I can see where this road heads, I'll let you know if I'm going. Sometimes God gives us a full picture, at least a, a better picture than one step. Whatever he tells us, he knows what he's doing. Do it. Whatever he says, do it. We're looking for guarantees that it'll be safe or easy. God is looking for us to trust and obey. Obedience. If he asks you to break an engagement, it does not mean he's asking you to be single the rest of your life. Trust him. If he asks you to quit your job, it doesn't mean he wants to make you homeless. If he asks you to have someone come stay with you who needs a room, it doesn't mean they'll be there the rest of your life. I don't know what it means. But whatever he says, do it. Just do the thing he asks of you and trust him. The result of that risky obedience at the wedding was that they had a great party. I have backed away from obedience too many times in my life. And the result has always been regret. Always been regret. Never a celebration. When God has... Ask me to do something and I've done it. I've seen miracles. And it's always a celebration. Whether it's a little celebration or a big celebration, depending on the obedience. Obedience always leads to greater relationship with God and to his mission in the world being extended through us. Is a wedding that important? Is wine at a wedding that important? In our culture, probably not as much. In that one it was. Did it change the shape of the Christian world? No, probably not. 
But at that point, it tells us that that's the first time his disciples, who were his followers, they were just following a good teacher, like thinking, oh, this guy's pretty good. And that's when they first began to believe that he was more than just a rabbi. If that's the only reason Jesus turned water to wine, because he was building this community of people on whom would rest the salvation of the world by their faith in who he was and what he did. As recently as uh, probably a month ago, I wanted to call someone because uh, I felt like things were maybe not exactly right between us. So I was going to call them. And I felt the Holy Spirit like, no, let it go. But I kept thinking about it, and so I thought, well, I'll just, I found another reason to call them because God didn't realize that it was important. And so um, I just called them to chat and that kind of thing. When I got off the phone, I felt really icky, not just because I called them, because it was an unfulfilling phone call. And God was saying, don't call right now. Thank you for your input, but I think I know better. I didn't. And if anything, I made the situation a bit worse. What did I gain? Regret. What did I lose? Peace. For just a, a relatively small obedience. The circumstances of our tomorrows are unique and uncertain for every one of us. We don't get to know. We assume what tomorrow will look a lot like today. But we don't know any of that. We do not control any of it. The truth about our tomorrows, though, is that they are in God's hands. And he is always, always good, even in the middle of very difficult circumstances. He will never leave us. He will always continue the work he has begun in us. And he will always be able to give us the desire to do what's right in his eyes. He says he'll give us both the will and the ability to do what pleases him. Water is good for us. It's life-giving. Filling up water jars is not a bad thing. It's good. What God can make of the things that are, that are most normative for us result in celebration. Whatever it is for you, wine, champagne, whatever it is that's your celebratory drink, a good Coke, whatever it is for you. That picture of what we give God, something as important as water, as important as obedience, he turns in to great celebration. Whatever he says to do, do it. Just imagine more celebration in your life because of greater obedience. It's a high calling, but it's possible. Pray with me. Loving Father, thank you for your word. Um, I pray first for myself, Lord, just that you know what an attitude I can have. And um, even knowing that you're always right and having experienced disobedience and obedience, today I ask for your Holy Spirit to work in me again and again in deeper ways, that I'd be a person who quickly and without so much attitude obeys you. Lord, for the people in this room whom you love beyond their comprehension, Lord, I pray that you, because you know where each one is, you know what they're facing. I pray that you would make your voice clear 
out of the myriad of voices, may they know your voice. And as you speak love and grace and acceptance to each heart today, may we come to know your voice through your grace. And may that give us the courage to obey as we come to know your voice as good and gracious and powerful. It's a big ask, but we do ask it because we entrust our lives to you. In fact, as we pray, if everybody would kind of close your eyes, um, I just feel that if you're in this room this morning and you just would, you're facing something in particular and you just, I won't have you stand or anything, just if you'll look at me, if I don't see you, raise your hand a little bit and you'd just like me to gather you in this prayer of, I need courage to be obedient in a certain area. I see those of you who are looking at me. I see you. I see you. Others. I see you guys. I see you. I see you. Father, um, it's so amazing to stand up here and um, have people trust me. <laughs> with a season in their life. And, but I do, I stand with them. And God, you know these hearts. And so together as a community, we offer up these places of need, Lord, to hear your voice, these forks in the road or these mountains that feel too tall to climb. Holy Spirit, would you come even now and give assurance? You said we can ask, and so we ask for clarity, for grace, for the power of your Holy Spirit to visit these people. Each one, give them the courage to say yes, the courage to do it. And I pray that the celebration would be mind-blowing in every case. Teach us how to share these celebrations. Point others to the God who is always good, always strong, always gracious and who loves us beyond our ability to even fathom. Oh my goodness, words are too small for who you are, but we thank you. We love you, we bless you in Christ's name. Amen.